we are continue to be in the tabernacle. And uh, I'm not going to apologize this morning because we have a lot of text to go through because reading a lot of text is a good thing. But we do have a lot of text to go through, chapters 28 and 29 of uh, Exodus. So I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles because the, there's so much text. We're not actually going to put it on the screen because uh, we'd wear the mouse out moving from screen to screen. So... Um, Uh, Turn in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 28, and we're going to be talking about the priests and their garments and their preparation for their service in the tabernacle. For those of you who are servants, we've been walking through the tabernacle and its construction over the past number of weeks, and uh, this is where we are in our text, which, as you will see, God knitted together for his glory is very fitting for you folks as you begin your ministry here in Redlands this week. As we come around God's word, let's pray for his blessing and his presence on our time together. Father, move through your word. Touch us through your word. Challenge us. Make us uncomfortable so that, Lord, we pursue you because of your word. Challenge us so that we learn and grow because of your word. Open up understanding. Open up our eyes that we may see and ears that we may hear through your word. Your word is a powerful, powerful thing perhaps one of the most powerful things that we can know in this life. And we ask, O oh God, that you bring that power to us today in a way which transforms us more fully into the people that you call us to be. We pray these things all in Christ. Amen. Exodus chapter 28 and 29, beginning at verse 1. Have Aaron, your brother... Brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nabab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. And honor. Tell all the skilled men to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Abraham for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Make the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen, the work of a skilled craftsman. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, of one piece with the ephod and made of gold, and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and with finely twisted linen. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Make gold filigree settings and two braided chains of pure gold like a rope and attach the chains to the settings. Fashion a breast piece for, ma- breast piece for making decisions, the work of a skilled craftsman, making like the ephod of gold and a blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and a finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long, and a span wide, and folded double. Then mount 
four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row there shall be a ruby, a topaz, a beryl, and in the second row a turquoise, a sapphire, and an emerald. In the third row a, a jacinth, a agate, and an amethyst. On the fourth row a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. For the breastpiece, excuse me, make braided chains of pure gold like a rope. Make two gold rings for it and fasten them to two corners of the breastpiece. Fasten the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breastpiece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. Make two gold rings and attach them to the other two corners of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Make two more gold rings and attach them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod, close to the seam, just above the waistband of the ephod. The rings of the breastpiece, why do I keep doing that, are to be tied to the rings of the ephod with blue cords, connecting it to the waistband so that the breastpiece will not swing out from the ephod. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its center. There shall be a woven edge like a collar around its opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around on the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sounds of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it and attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead. And he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. Weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, sashes, and headbands for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them, consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from fine wheat flour without yeast, make bread and cakes mixed with oil and wafers spread with oil. Put them in a basket and present them in it along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself and the breast piece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred diadem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and put headbands on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. In this way you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. 
Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughtered in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take out all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, and both kidneys with the fat on them, and burn them on the altar." But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its offal outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the inner parts and legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. Take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, take some of its blood, put it on the robes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then sprinkle blood against the altar on all sides, and take some of the blood on the altar and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons, and their garments, then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Take from this ram the fat, the fat tail, the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. From the basket of bread made without yeast, which is before the Lord, take a loaf and a cake made with oil and a wafer. Put all these in the hands of Abraham and his sons, and wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. And take them from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, an offering made to the Lord by fire. After you take the breast of the ram for Aaron's ordination, wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, and it will be your share. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons, the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. This is always to be the regular share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It is the contribution the Israelites are to make to the Lord from their fellowship offerings. Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination consecration. But no one else may eat them because they are sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. Do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy, and whatever touches it will be holy. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old, offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. When the first lamb off, with the first lamb offer a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hin of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and it's a drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the tent to, at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated for my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt. 
so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the word of the Lord, a whole lot of it. Thanks be to God. You might wonder, why would I want to read all that text? Especially because some of it is fairly detail-oriented. Make sure you do this with this part of the ram. Make sure that you do this with the blood. Make sure that it's this amount for the um, incense or for the flour or the, the bread offering. Make sure it's this much for the offering to be pleasing aroma to God. Well, it's what it takes. It's what it takes for Aaron to do his work. It's funny because we live in a world where if you apply for a job now, especially with a large corporation, jumping through the hoops of getting a job has changed, hasn't it? Used to be you could walk into a place of business, ask them if they had work, if they thought that you would work out, they would give you a handshake, you would give them a handshake, and perhaps have a job. But now, background checks. Every single person who uh, is involved in some sort of staff ministry walks through a background check here at the river. We don't do drug tests, but other people do. Lots of places of business, you have to do drug tests. You have to give them a hair sample, or you have to go to the, uh, give them a, got to go to the bathroom and give them that so that they can test things out and make sure that you're not on drugs. You, sometimes you even have to go through other ones. I had a former youth group kid of mine who um, I was talking to when he got his first job and he got his first job with a defense contractor as an engineer. And he talked to me the day before he started his job and he said, I've been being vetted by this company for the last four months because they want to make sure that I'm not somebody who can be influenced by an outside power or country in order to spy against the United States through this defense contractor. So they would actually talk to his teachers from third grade on. He had to give the names of all of his teachers. And you get into some of these places and the hoops that you have to jump through in order to get a job is pretty dramatic. In the text, we see what happened with Aaron. And the priests. Except this is not for the company's safety as so much of the vetting process is for those of us who are applying for work. This is for holiness. This is so that Aaron and the priests are worthy before God to minister on behalf of the people. That's what a priest was to do. They were an intermediary between God the Father and the people of Israel. And they were to be able to live in both worlds enough to be that intermediary. And this, all this stuff, all this blood, all these animals, all these sacrifices, all this work, the details of their garments and how they were supposed to be made, all of these things are done so that they can fulfill their duty as an intermediary. This is what it took for them to be holy because before God, remember, God can't stand unholiness. God requires those who are in his presence to be holy. 
And this is what it took for a priest to be holy. And we look at all this stuff, and there are sure, certainly there's tons of symbols, colors, stones, and rituals that hold meaning here. And if we had the time, and if you wanted to do that in a small group Bible study, it would be a worthwhile study. All those things, all the stones, what do they represent? All the different colors of the garments. What are the Urim and the Thummim? By the way, we're not really sure. There's lots of different ideas about that. Okay, so if somebody tells you they know exactly what the Urim and the Thummim were, they're wrong because they don't. It's hard stuff and there's lots of different ideas. But if you wanted to do that study, you'd learn a lot about the people of God and the symbolism that are in the priest's clothing. But the whole gist of all this stuff, two chapters of instructions, it's for a priest to enter and intercede on behalf of God's chosen people. Rituals need to be regularly observed because God can't stand unholiness in his presence. You see, the instructions are things that need to be done every day. These are things that have to happen every day. Every day, at least two sheep have to be killed on the altar for the priest to be holy. Every day, things need to be done for the priest to be holy. And the problem, of course, is that it's a temporary solution, right? This is something that if they did it once, they couldn't say, oh, well, we're done. We don't have to worry about that anymore. You got to keep doing it. Why? Because people become unholy. The priests become unholy. The priest walks out of the tabernacle in his work that day and stubs his foot on a stone and a thought or a word escapes his mouth. Suddenly, he's not worthy to be in God's presence anymore. Got to sacrifice another lamb. Or he gets in traffic on the way home from his work at the tabernacle and you know what traffic does to you. All of a sudden, he's got to be made holy again. It's a temporary solution to go through all these rituals, all this activity, all this work, all this blood in order to be holy, and it doesn't stick. It's only for a time. As we look at this teaching ourselves, we have to be struck, at least on some level, at just how holy God is and how we're not. Because this is Aaron we're talking about. This is Moses. These are the heavies of the faith. These are the big guys. These are the people that people of Israel would look up to. Certainly they made mistakes. Aaron and the golden calf. Moses struck the rock. They made all the mistakes. But we think of Aaron and Moses and we think of pillars of the faith. And this is what had to happen for Aaron to be pure before the eyes of God. And it needed to be regular. How much more so for us in our messed up lives? in the brokenness that we experience every day, in the foolishness and selfishness that we live. And here we are saying that we are united with God in a relationship, and yet we're this unholy person. And it certainly should, for us, beg some questions about who we are and how we live. Certainly it can and should move us to a place of self-examination. Where have you fallen short? Where have I fallen short? Well, I can name it. And unfortunately, my list is long, as is probably yours. 
What sin in your life needs to be confessed? And how do you seek God's forgiveness? I was speaking with somebody this week who talked about how much forgiveness has impacted their life and their ministry. How do we receive God's forgiveness? Because so often when we don't know what it is like to receive God's forgiveness, it's a barrier for us growing and a barrier for us being able to flourish and experience freedom and move on. How do we do that? Because we are truly unholy and we are sinners and we are broken. And God's holy and how can we be in his presence? How can he even stand to have us around sometimes? And certainly I ask that question in my heart when I consider my own unholiness and my own own sin. How can God stand to have me in his presence? Because living a holy life is hard. In fact, it's impossible, right? You guys are on serve. God be praised for that. Serve week is a quote-unquote spiritual week, right? You're going to hear some good things. The speaker's going to talk to you. You're going to be a part of good worship. You're going to pray more this week than most of you have prayed in the previous year. You're going to experience things of God that you won't experience anywhere else. This is a quote-unquote spiritual week, wonderful week. God be praised for it. And you will sin this week. And you will be unholy this week. In the most spiritual week of the year, you will be unholy. Because being holy is hard. Being right with God in and of ourselves is hard. In fact, there was a, an intellectual who was in, uh, he was in a, a sociology class. And uh, he actually was a research assistant. And he came in contact with this sociology, through this sociology class, with a number of Christians. And he saw Christians living um, in some really great ways and things that he wanted to sort of experience for himself. And he wanted to experience the sort of freedom and joy and the life that they experienced. But he didn't really want to jump into this whole Jesus thing. So he thought to himself, you know what? It must come from the way that they live. They make certain decisions about what they do and and what they say and who they hang around with and the things that they're a part of. So I'm going to try to live like they do. I'm going to try to be good. And if nothing else, I'm going to learn a lot about Christians and I'm going to learn a lot about myself. So this intellectual embarked upon a year of living a good life. He dug into the scriptures and he looked at all the things that you were required to do as a follower of Jesus in order to live. But he didn't want really anything to do with Jesus. He just wanted to find out what you had to do. So he did a whole lot of stuff serving the poor. He did a whole lot of stuff in pursuing things that were righteous and noble and holy and pure. He would not go to certain movies because they were certainly sinful. There was sin portrayed on the screen and that would hinder his experiment to be a good person. And he stopped using the words that he would use when he got angry as best as he was, a- was able. And he, he stopped... Uh, he chose to forgive others because the text said to forgive. He had a poor relationship with his dad, so he forgave his father as best as he was able. Um, all these different things that he did in order to try to experience some of the joy and some of the life that the Christians in his classes were experiencing. And he decided after about nine months that he had to quit because he was miserable. 
He was miserable because every day he would wake up and immediately start to think, what do I have to do today to be good? What do I have to do today to be holy? What do I have to do today to be, quote unquote, righteous? And what he realized is that if he woke up at 6 a.m. by 7.30, he'd already messed up like five or six times. He would have something in his head or he would see something on the television or he would be speaking with somebody somewhere and somehow or other unrighteousness would seep into his life and he would instantly condemn himself. The problem that the intellectual had is that he completely misunderstood how this worked. Of course, we know that, right? Because you can't try to live a good life as a follower of Jesus without following Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, what's the point? There isn't any. And the challenge that this intellectual came to grips with is that living, quote unquote, a good and righteous, even Christian life in and of yourself is impossible. To be holy before God in and of ourselves is impossible. And we see as we get back into the text with these priests how God understood that. And in fact, already in the book of Exodus is foreshadowing to some pretty important stuff that applies to our lives today. See, as this rhythm of purity would grow in Israel, as this, these rituals, these things, because remember, Aaron was the first high priest, but there would be high priests to come. His sons were the first priests, but there would be other priests to come. So this was something that had to get into the rhythm of Israel. And they would go through these rhythms of purity, pursue purity, and more purity. And we got to do all the rituals. We got to kill more sheep. We got to wave stuff in front of God. We got to make sure the altar is holy. And we got to make sure the priests are holy every day so that they can intercede. And as these rituals grew, you had to believe But the people as well as the priests would feel the burden of that, would feel the burden of their own sin. We can't do this. We can't be holy enough before you, oh God. Which is exactly where God wanted them to be. It's exactly what God wanted to say to them. You're right. You can't. You cannot be holy enough, servants. You cannot be holy enough, the river, to be in God's presence. It can't happen. If it could, then we wouldn't need what that symbolizes. We wouldn't need what that means. We could do it ourselves. The ritual of all this stuff that we read for two full chapters, probably 10 minutes of me droning on and on and on and on and on, and you getting sick of hearing me read it. It's paving the way for Jesus. Because it's saying to Israel, you're right, you can't do this. You can't fix this. These sacrifices will never be enough. But I got you. I got a plan. I got a plan for another priest.
priest to come. Turn really quickly in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Hebrews is near the latter part of the New Testament if you're looking for a place to go and how to get there. Always takes me a while. I have to remember, is it before or after First and Second John? Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, says this, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not, this, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? If offerings could be enough, would they not have been stopped? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All the stuff in Exodus about sacrifices, Hebrews is saying that's impossible to do for you to become holy. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you got your Bibles open, read that with me, that last verse, verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hear that. Really, hear that. Because you know what other things happen during a serve week? You folks have sin, right? You know that. But you come with sin that often other people don't know about. And there's probably going to be some breakthroughs for you folks, some of you folks this week. You're going to feel a level of conviction. You're going to feel a level of God's love, the acceptance of the grace of Christ. And you're going to confess those sins. And you're going to walk through a process of accountability maybe. Maybe some of you folks who are involved in stuff that you shouldn't be involved in. You're going to be convicted by that. And and God's going to open up a way for you to experience some freedom and forgiveness. If that's God's will, wonderful, great. But hear this verse. Although... Those things are great, necessary, and important to walk with God. If you know Jesus, right now, you've already been made holy. You are already holy before the creator of the world. He already says, through the grace of Jesus Christ, you are acceptable to me. I welcome you into my presence. And there's nothing that you can do To lose that if you know the grace of Jesus. People of the river, that's the case for you. 
No matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing right now, no matter the challenges you face, the addictions you're walking through, no matter the brokenness, the challenging relationships, the difficulties you face, you are holy, if you know the grace of Christ, through the sacrifice once and for all of Jesus. And that will never change, even if... You continue to walk into darkness even if you deal with sin. You need to hear me here. Because the problem that we have so often is that when we think about our sin, we think that it separates us from God enough that he doesn't love us anymore. Hear me here. You can never do anything to stop God from loving you in Jesus Christ. Ever, never, never, ever, ever, ever. That never changes. So even if you are a broken, even if you are an addicted, even if you are a foolish, selfish individual, if you know the grace of Christ, you are made holy and can be in his presence. And certainly, certainly that should call you to conviction. That should call you to all the other things that we talk about. Living into freedom, living in gratitude, living in holiness, all those other things. They're a direct response to that. But please hear me. It starts with us understanding regardless of where we are. Through the blood of Jesus, we're holy. It's not about a rhythm of being made pure. It's about a rhythm of being open. Why would I say the word openness? Hear me here. So often, followers of Jesus are not open to receiving the forgiveness they know in Jesus Christ. How many of you are made holy? Put your hands up high. Through the blood of Jesus, you're made holy. Does that mean you're forgiven of God? Does it mean you're forgiven? Do you always feel that way? When you don't feel that way, is it still true? It's still true. It's still true that you are holy before God. Be reminded of that. That you are open on a daily basis, sometimes on a basis of every second, to understanding that through the blood of Jesus and his grace, you are forgiven made holy, covered and cloaked with his righteousness. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you because if he did, you couldn't be in his presence because you are unholy. When he looks at you and you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ because we're united with him through the cross and his resurrection. He sees Jesus. Every moment of every day. There is never a moment when he doesn't see Jesus. Certainly, he does call you to obedience. Certainly, he does call you to live a life of gratitude. But he, most importantly, most importantly this morning, calls you to live a life of being forgiven. 
and being open to that forgiveness and never questioning that you are forgiven of God. And I certainly, I understand there's that struggle because there are troughs of sin that we go back to feed at again and again and again and again. And the question that we pose is, can God forgive me again for this sin? And what's the answer through Jesus? How many times? Once and for all. That's what the text says. Even if that trough is something that you go to every day. It's forgiven of you once and for all. Now I'm not telling you to go back to the trough because it's okay. Hear me here. I'm not. Because God calls you to live into gratitude. He calls you to live into righteousness. He calls you to live in obedience. But he most of all calls you to live into the forgiveness offered you through the grace of Jesus Christ. Understand right now, if you know the grace of Jesus, you are forgiven no matter what your circumstances. Grace of Christ also includes us in something else, and that's the priesthood of believers. Because you and I are made holy through the blood of Christ, we're included in that priesthood. And that means that we can then be a part of the work of interceding. Was the priest's work in the Old Testament? Now that's our work today. You intercede on behalf of others who don't know God. You intercede on behalf of others who do know God, but are still at the trough. You intercede on behalf of a world that is broken and full of poverty and injustice and foolishness and disobedience. And you intercede. And you know what, servants? You're going to do that in some pretty tangible ways this week. You don't know the kids of Lagonia yet. You don't know them. But we do. And doggone we love those kids. And the challenge is, for anybody who's been involved in the ministry at Lagonia, is you are going to hear stories of brokenness. You are going to hear about messy things this week. You are going to bear witness to kids who are in some real dark places a lot of times. And we know those stories, and you're going to discover even more of them. And those kids are going to come onto the campus of Lagonia School, and they're going to play soccer and softball, and they're going to play what other sports we got going Wiffle ball, all this other, it's going to be art stuff for them to do. And they're going to glom onto you like little kid magnets. And they're going to grab onto your legs sometimes and they're not going to let go. And they're going to come after you. And sometimes they're not going to like you very much. And they're going to, it's going to be even a challenge for you to have a relationship with them. But these kids are looking at you. And whether they can't verbalize this question, they're never going to ask it. But they're asking in their own unique way, are you going to show me Jesus? Because it's what I'm looking for. We have a lot of people here at the river who have done a great job of showing them Jesus. And now this week you get to do that even more. You wear an ephod this week. 
You wear a breast piece. You carry the Urim and the Thummim. You carry all those beautiful garments with you. Yours just looks like a funky teal t-shirt. Because you're priests. You intercede. You carry through the holiness of Christ given to you, seen in you, through the grace of God. You carry God with you onto a campus, into a world that is filled with darkness. And God can and God will use you. And my hope is that you go back to Grand Rapids and you go back to Ohio and you go back to Iowa and you go back to wherever it is that you go when you're done here. Into your neighborhood in Redlands or Beaumont or Calmes or wherever it might be. And that you go and you carry continually those garments, those priestly garments. You carry Jesus because he is what makes you holy and equips you and encourages you and challenges you to carry God's presence into a dark and broken world. May God bless you in the work this week and the weeks and the months and the years to come. Would you pray with me? We praise you, O God, that you have given us the gift of being your priests through Christ. We have been clothed with his righteousness. All this stuff that couldn't make God's people holy for long from the book of Exodus, you did in Christ once and for all. And it makes all the difference. We know your grace. We know the work that you have done a rhythm that moves us from needing purity, from, live, from living in that need to be holy, moving us into a place where we are open to the forgiveness offered us through the grace of Christ and living into that forgiveness in the lives of those around us. May we truly carry that ephod, the breast piece, the turban, the waist belt, all those things, may we carry them so that others may see not the beauty of who we are, but the beauty of who you are. And Lord, if you will it, that might bring them closer to you. I pray these things all in the name of Jesus.